you stronger when you get through these hard parts. Like if you have a great workout, great. And you're hitting great speeds, amazing. But it's how you react to the bad days and the struggles. That's what defines you as a runner. Not the good days, not the good races. It's like, how do you react when you feel like crap? And that's kind of what it is for me, you know? It's not gonna feel amazing all the time, but if you can get through the hard days, it's gonna make you so much stronger mentally as a runner and as a person in general. That was Corinne Fitzgerald. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative, movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training and showcase their expertise and story. Welcome and thanks for tuning in to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. I'm beyond excited to introduce you to today's guest. So let's just jump right in. Corinne Fitzgerald is a diehard runner and a true athlete at heart, through and through. She is also a podium-placing elite triathlete, elite competitive runner, and top running coach in New York City with a residency at Mile High Run Club, New York's premier indoor treadmill running studio, where she has been teaching classes and coaching runners for over four years. She is also an Irish step dancer. Just a little side note. Corinne fell in love with running when she was in college, when she learned that it can be a lifelong sport and also a healthy outlet for so many things. Her most outstanding achievements have been in track and field, with her main event being steeplechase and followed by cross country. Corinne is the 2015 duathlon age group national champion. She placed fifth in the Xterra Trail World Championships that took place in November 2013 in Oahu, Hawaii, and has competed on the world level in triathlon. And just this spring, she beat her all-time college PR at steeplechase in the pen relays with a 10.36 time, placing fifth in her heat and 14th overall. But it hasn't always been wins and PRing for Corinne. In 2016, after completing the TCS New York City Marathon, she had to shut down her competitive running career and recover from a series of serious injuries, which had accumulated over her time training. And she had no idea that she had them until probably short of a month before the marathon. With running as her life, career, and identity, she had to dig deep to reframe her mindset and take a full two years off from the sport to recover. On today's episode, Corinne shares her path into running, her wins and losses, how she reframed her mindset and overcame these major physical injuries, and how she just recently beat her college PR at steeplechase after taking two years off from running, which I think a lot of people listening to this podcast can identify with because oftentimes when we get injured and have to stop training or stop racing, we certainly go to a dark place and think we're never going to do it again. 
but Corinne shares her incredible story of how she is doing it again and even more so beating her times. We also talk about goal setting within your running, whether you're doing it recreationally or competing professionally. And Corinne shares some great race strategies, training insight and advice, mindset and career wisdom, and so much more. I am certain that Corinne's story is going to resonate with many of you listeners, inspire you to stay on track and keep up your training, and empower you with tools for success in your athletic endeavors. If you're not a runner, I think this conversation might pique your curiosity. Spoken as a self-identified runner, it is truly an incredible sport. As always, thanks for tuning in and all of your great feedback on the podcast. I appreciate your direct messages and questions on social, so please keep those emails coming. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy. Scroll through the list of Money on the Move podcasts on your app, click on Write a Review, share what you like about the podcast, your favorite episodes, what inspires you, Tell your friends to listen, email them a link, post it on your social platforms, and tag Marnie on the move. Spread the love. Also, sign up for the newsletter on our website, The Download, to find out about upcoming events, summits this summer, and great deals, offers, and giveaways. Now, on to the episode. But before we get started, today's episode is fueled by Sun Potion. I am such a huge fan of their super high-quality, organic, tonic herbs, mushrooms, and superfoods. I have been using a variety of their transformational foods and supplements for the past three years. They have been major game changers for my overall health and wellness. Lately, I have been using the pine pollen and ashwagandha for hormones and balance, chaga for my immune system, and my favorite, cordyceps, for extra energy pre-workout. I simply add them to my coffee or my smoothie every day, and I'm on the move. Head over to their website, sumpotion.com, and use the code Marnie on the Move for 10% off. Now, on to the episode. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you. How was your 10-mile run this morning? It was actually surprisingly pretty good. I did the Broad Street 10-miler on Sunday, so I was expecting my legs to feel pretty dead because uh-huh. yesterday and Monday were pretty rough. But no, it felt good today. Got a little over 10 miles in about an hour 15. Felt good. How was your time at the Broad Street Run? It was good. It was the first long race I've done in a while. And my goal wasn't really to go out there and just burn out my legs because I'm doing Brooklyn, uh, the Brooklyn half on May 18th. My goal was kind of just to run solid and run healthy and then see how I feel. And halfway through, if I feel good, I'll pick up the pace. And if I don't, I'll just stay, stay consistent. I ended up running it in 59 minutes and 40 seconds or something around there. You ran 10 miles in 59 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and I, you and- know, surprisingly, I felt so good. I ran so even. I was exactly around six minute pace for almost the whole thing. And then the last mile, I was like, all right, I feel pretty good. Let me pick this pace up. And I think I dropped like a 540 for the last mile. So that's so awesome. Yeah, it felt good. So where did running begin for you? Okay, it began like most people kind of using it as a way to stay in shape for other sports. I was a field hockey player. I've 
actually tried a lot of different sports in high school, including golf, which um, that's one thing. If I don't make it in pro running, pro golf is going to be my next thing. Well, they're very similar. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. I mean, it's a very mental sport as well. Anyways, my senior year of high school, the cross country coach was like, hey, I'd really love for you to run. And I was like, all right, well, let's do it. I'm not really competing well in field hockey. The team wasn't that great. So I decided to run cross country and then track and field. Um, and then from there, I got a little, um, I got a scholarship to run in college. So kind of excelled my freshman year. And that's when I was like, this is going to be for me. I like this because it's team and it's individual. So that's where I really took off was college. So you started running in college. Yeah, mostly, most competitively. Well, so where did you go to college? First okay, of all? I went to East Stroudsburg University mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania. It was a small D2 school, is a small D2 school. And I got to say, I'm really happy with the choice. I'm in contact with my college coaches now. They're like uncles to me. They're like family. When my dad passed away two years ago, my coaches were there. And it's just an experience I don't think you really get when you're in a D1. I basically had a lot of opportunity to travel. Uh, We went to Colorado, California for our national championships. And I just don't feel like I would have had that experience if I was in D1. So I went to East Strasburg, started running a lot of different events. Just my coach just kind of testing me out anywhere from the 800 all the way up to the 10K on the track. Um, and then cross country, of course. And I do remember the first time I ran a 10K, my coach Joe Koch called me up and was like, Fitz, I hope you're sitting down. And if you're not, sit down. He's like, okay, I'm putting you in the 10K on the track. And I was like, hell no, there's no way I'm going to do a 10K on the track. Um, and it was just, it was fun. You know, I never really realized that I enjoyed it so much until I actually got out there and did it. That's so cool. And so then you started doing steeplechase. Yes. I also remember my first steeplechase race ever. And I didn't know the rules. I didn't know what was going on. So basically, you start on the back half of the track because it's seven and a half laps. So you start on the other side of the track and then you finish where every other race starts and finishes. And you're not supposed to jump the first water pit because you're only supposed to jump it seven times. And I went out and I started leading the race and everybody's like, no, no, do not jump the water pit because I was about to jump it. So what do you do, run through it? So you're supposed to run around it for the first one. And then for the subsequent laps, you jump all the barriers and then you jump the water pits. Right. Yeah, so that was an experience. And freshman year is when I started and I pretty, I excelled at that. That was my event when I went to nationals and I've picked it up as an adult now, I guess. Yeah, you just did. You just competed again. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. So Penn Relays was my favorite race ever. And my goal was to get back there again, because I've missed that competitive aspect of running. So uh, after two years off of running, I said, you know, my goal is to get back to Penn Relays. Started working with my coach, John Henwood, who is an Olympian in the 10K for New Zealand, a few, few Olympics back. And he's like, you know, I just don't know why you want to do this race because you're not really going to be in shape for it, you know. Uh, he's like, oh. that's a good coach. <laughs> yeah, actually, I mean, he's a smart guy, you know. Yes. And I said, John, I want to do it. So I know I might not be the best, and I might not have the best time, but I'd really, really, really like to do it this year. He's like, all right, fine. 
Um, so I ended up with a one second all time PR with not doing much speed, not doing much, much of anything besides distance. Cause I'm building you beat my your base. college PR. I beat my college PR. Yeah. It was and how crazy. many years has it been since college? Six years since college. Oh my gosh. I know. Wow. That's, and two years off of running. Mm-hmm. That's pretty incredible. Trying to keep up with the young kids yes. nowadays. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> That's amazing. So mm-hmm. you must feel pretty great. I do. I feel like that was, man, I feel like I'm not even coming close to what my potential is. I feel like I've got so much in there because I'm not doing nearly half of the speed and the strength that I was doing in college. because I'm just starting to build a base. What is the training like for that? Yeah, I mean, I'm just doing striders. So anywhere from 30 seconds to a one minute striders on Tuesdays. And that will be like inside of a 45 or a 50 minute run. And then on Thursdays or Fridays, I'll do some type of speed. And the speed isn't really too intense. I did five 1,000 meter repeats right before the Penn Relays event. And, you know, I remember back in college. Like right be- before the event? Or, like uh, that same day? No, no, or, no, no. Okay. In, in I was like, week, I'm just wondering, you know. In like in, I'm an athlete. I get that. <laughs> smartly, I, I did not do it the, the day or the week before. It was the week leading up to okay. the, the week uh, of the race. Yeah, and that was really the only speed workout I did. And I had a goal of hitting 525 pace for 1K repeats. And I was a little off. So I was like, yeah, well, I'm not really expecting a lot, but I just want to go in there. I want to run healthy. And I want to enjoy the competitive atmosphere because you're under the lights and the music plays and Oh, the atmosphere there is just insane. I'm going to have to try it. It sounds like such a fun race. If I don't kill myself trying to go over the hurdles, I think the rest <laughs> of it, the idea of having all these fun obstacles to jump over and hurdles and Absolutely. Speed. Yeah, it keeps you more involved, I think. Yeah, than, mentally. Yeah. So you don't peace out like exactly. in an endurance race. And I do think there's something to be said about a 10K on the track where you just zone out before you know it. Two or three miles are gone and you're like, wow. This is awesome, unless you're having a bad race, and the 10K on the on the track is a terrible race to have a bad one. I've never done a 10K on the track. I've done, like, my longest on the track is probably when I do my training or outside. My favorite track is on the East River, but I do five times one-mile repeats, which I love doing that for whatever reason. It's just, like, there's some kind of satisfaction in, in like, having a setting, a t- setting a time and a pace and then trying to keep that up over a period of time and having that as, like, a standard sort of the parameters for like what your speed should be absolutely and on the track even though you're you know it's like five miles and it probably ends up being like six and a half seven miles in the end it's just it flies by yeah I think most people if they were to hear that they'd be like you're pretty much insane I don't know why anybody would want to do five by one mile on the track but I feel you you know it's to anyone listening, if you don't do speed work often, yeah, the first few times sucks, you know? It's not comfortable. It's just... You feel like every, you want to throw up. You feel like yeah. you want to throw up every step you take. If you're not hitting the numbers that you want, you know, it's it can be really challenging. But if you just switch the mindset a little bit and you go into the workout and you say, okay, this is my goal. If I don't hit it, fine. But I have something to work towards. That feeling of your lungs burning and the fire in your legs and, you know, finding and seeing it's the finish It's a great feeling line. after it's the so fact. Awesome. Oh, yeah, especially <laughs> after. after. <laughs> the runner's eye will kick in towards the end. Um, yeah, no, track workouts can be really hard, but I think it's the way you go into them mentally. Right, and I think it's the same thing with the treadmill, which is, you know, what you're doing now. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, at Mile High Run Club, and I'm, I'm sure you – 
before you started working there when they first opened, was it like four years ago? Yeah. Four, four years, years ago? ago yeah. um, a little you, over. Did you, were you always a treadmill fan? No. 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 Most, <laughs> most people that are, most athletes that are runners, like, I mean, it depends on the kind of athlete you are, right? Mm. Because if you're an Olympic athlete, you know the value of the treadmill or professional athlete or elite athlete, even though you don't like it, the treadmill has tremendous value in speed training specifically. But I just wonder, like, were you, was your head even there before you started at Mile High Run Club? Oh, no, no, I never really thought of it. The treadmill is just something you used when you absolutely couldn't go outside. Right. And, you know, in college, if it was two degrees, my coach is still like, all right, go outside, get your running, bundle up, yeah. you know? So I come from the mentality that no matter what it is outside, you can run out there. Right. Not that I like to though. So I really only use the treadmill when it was temperatures or some type of weather that I didn't like out there. Um, but I do agree after coaching for four, a little over four years at Mile High Run Club, the treadmill can be really beneficial. And I think the one of the best things for me that I use it for is pacing. Um, you know, you want to hit a certain number outside and you're looking at your watch and you're constantly looking down and you're wondering, am I hitting the right speed? Am I there? Then you're going fast, slow, fast, slow. And sometimes you zone out and you slow down and you don't even realize it. But if you want to slow down on the treadmill, you have to actively choose to press the button and, slow and bring down. the speed yeah. down. And that's what I found has been most beneficial for me. When I know I want to hit a specific time, I'll just put it up there, especially with something longer like mile repeats. I'll throw the speed up there and I'll just just run. And my goal is just keep pace with the belt. Yeah. <laughs> do not fall off the treadmill. Well, that's like one of my fears. <laughs> do you do any of your training on the treadmills? I do. Um, now that it's nicer outside, I try not to. But again, the only time I will is if I know I want to hit a pace that I'm just unsure of outside. And yeah. I'll put the speed up and I'll just run. Um, but for the most part, I do I do like the fact that the treadmill is a little bit more shock absorbent, mm -hmm. especially like, woodways. Yes, those are amazing treadmills. Yeah, I, I mean, can't even run on any other treadmill now. Mm -hmm. I've become a treadmill snob. And if it's not that yeah. like slat belt, very shock absorbent rubberized belt, I won't go on it. Yeah, yeah. it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's definitely challenging. But. So it feels good. And with all my clients, too, since I have personal clients and I coach them to marathons, half marathons, 5K, 10Ks, I mean, I will, for the most part, at least once a week, have them on a treadmill. Yeah, I think you have to, especially in New York City, that you have to be able to train in all kinds of conditions, but you also have to be able to adapt to doing a track workout or getting on the treadmill or, you know, being able to be versatile in your training. That's some of the training that you do. And so do you also do a lot of Tabatas and fartleks and all of those kinds of workouts as well? Yeah. So um, when I was just For steeplechase. I'm still talking about steeplechase. Okay. I mean, I'm back to steeplechase. <laughs> Got it. Um, well, <clears throat> when I was just getting back into training, I was kind of doing all the types of classes and all around the city. I was on class pass and I was just enjoying it because, right. you know, I, I hit a point where I was like, I'm not going to be a professional runner. So enjoy what you can give back to the other runners and enjoy the knowledge that you've built up over the years running. So I started doing a bunch of different like types of hate classes around the city. But when it comes to running now, mostly all I do is 
you know, I will do fart licks. I will do speed training on the track. The track is my favorite place to go. Yeah, me too. Because I like to see the end. When I'm going minutes-based or even distance-based outside and I'm running on the West Side Highway and I have 800 meters to go, I'm like, well, where does that end? Like, I right. don't want to look at my watch. I want to know exactly where the finish line is. And that's the beauty about a track. Yeah. You know exactly where it is. You know where to kick. You know where you lose it. You know where you slow down. I'll mostly go on the track for speed. And then, yeah, fart licks. 100% and then long distance you do long distance yeah. on the track no no not on oh, the track okay. I, no, that's too I once ran 11 miles on a treadmill I think I was desperate like I really did mm. I will never mm-hmm. do that again the longest I've gone on a tread has been 16 miles and that's wow yeah I took a few mile high two mile high classes back to back because also when you're trying to run long it's nice to have music and somebody there even if you're right. not following the program yeah just to have somebody there and that's true people around you and I think that's one of the benefits about mile high I do really like that where you know sometimes and so you were talking about like you know how you were taking all these different classes around the city and they weren't necessarily running classes I mean sometimes you just get to a place in your training where you kind of plateau or you're bored so I did the same thing recently. Like I just kind of felt like I've been doing the same kind of training over and over and I'm not really getting anywhere. So I started taking a bunch of different classes. Like I went to Rumble and I went to Swerve and mm-hmm. like with the rest of the triathlon stuff, you know, every now and then I'll take a bar class. But for the most part, it's running, swimming, cycling. I took a TRX class. That's what I did. That killed me. So good. Oh my gosh. The TRX I is almost one of my died. favorite things. Wait, so so where I was going with my whole like off of the running conversation was that you are also a dancer, an Irish step dancer. Yes. So <laughs> where did that begin for you? So I actually danced when I was younger from about 10 years old to about 15. And I competed a little bit, but I stopped because of my sports and I just didn't have time. And then I had a little stress fracture in my heel, and I think it was due to malnutrition, being a young kid, just like going around eating French fries all day, you know. Um, And when I was older, I wanted to kind of honor my my father and my tradition and my heritage by picking up dance again. So I joined a troupe, the Nile O'Leary School of Irish Dance, and I'm part of the school and then part of the professional dance troupe. Uh, so we go around the city, and obviously our most popular times to dance, and people hire us around St. Patrick's, Patrick's Day. Day. Yeah, yeah, and then you'll find me in bars uh, almost every Thursday night. Well, not now that I'm training a little bit more, but Thursday night at Patty Riley's, a little bar on Second Ave. Uh, it's called Irish Culture Night. And my teacher will be there playing the accordion and the spoons. And I'll get up, I'll bring my heart shoes, and I'll dance on, on the little box there. So it's really cool. I'll do a little jig on a Thursday night with a Guinness in my hand. It's it's perfect. That's just so cool. <laughs> That's like some I just have never met someone who's like an elite runner who has this totally other side of dance. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like that that's so cool. So is this um and steeplechase is also comes from Ireland. Is there a connection there? I mean, and obviously you're Irish. Mm-hmm. Are you, where did, but you grew up here. Are you second generation Irish or third generation? Yeah, I'm third generation Irish. And my dad, our last name's Fitzgerald. So, yeah. you know, just, just by that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I really wanted to kind of get back to the roots. My dad would always... Um, put on the St. Patrick's Day Parade in Morristown and he was behind the scenes running it 
And I used to play the drums in a bagpipe band, Ku Cullen pipe band. Um, and I just, you know, I lost that part of me when I went to college. So I really wanted to get that back. So um, the connection between steeplechase and dancing, I think that was just random. Uh-huh. Um, Although you do kind of have to be coordinated. You do have to be coordinated. And surprisingly, you know, I hadn't done steeplechase in like six years. I was really good. I'm going to pat myself on the back for this one. I was really good at the uh, water barriers, which is the most scary part. You know, you're jumping over a big barrier into a three foot deep pit of water and you're around a ton of girls. Everyone's elbowing and it's an aggressive race. I only did hurdles once with Andia when I was training with her. Mm -hmm. Like that is not, it's good for me mentally, but it's not something I could ever do at any speed. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so I went to Chelsea yeah, Piers yeah. actually the week before my first race and I put out a bunch of hurdles and I was like, okay, let's jump over these for the first time in however many years. And I actually couldn't jump over it. I was so nervous. I was like, how in the hell am I going to do a steeplechase race if I can't even jump over a regular hurdle? Right. And you know, they're different hurdles. The barrier, it won't go down if you hit it. Now, regular hurdle, if you hit it, you know, the hurdle will fall down. And, and I have had an accident once in steeplechase. I've got a fake tooth to prove it. I had a concussion. I almost broke my arm. All right, we're talking about injury after this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that happened in college um, at one of my conference meets I was doing pretty well and I just wasn't looking in front of me I was looking too far ahead and I hit the barrier I went down no one was around me and uh, everybody's like wow you really died in that race and then they saw my leg and my arm They're like oh my god you're bleeding what happened I was like yeah um I fell I hit a, a barrier um, so not my my best moment ever so but did you <laughs> stop racing after that or no you just, no I kept finished. going you finished the race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I still had about a mile to go too, but I my head was all crazy. By the time I actually like woke up, I was on the other side of the track and I was like, how did I get here? It was just, it was crazy. <laughs> it's not funny, but I just, I feel like this is like, if you're an athlete and you're listening, like you are probably cracking up right now because mm-hmm. we've all done that at yeah. some point of our and racing. Stopping is not an option. No, you know? <laughs> nor is walking. Mm-mm. I hate people that walk during races. Now watch, I'm going to have to walk during my triathlon this summer. You know, I don't care. As long as you're moving forward, I, I appreciate that. I love when people enter in a race. I, my sister no, just did her nice. her first half marathon. I know. <laughs> you're like, damn, now I'm a bitch. No, um, sorry, part of like my run friend. people over. <laughs> like, why are you walking? No, you're my, killing my vibe. You know, my sister just did her first half, and right. she'd never done, uh, she'd never run more than six miles before. And she powered through like a friggin' champ, you know? She was just, I'm not stopping, like I'm moving forward. And yeah, she was walking at some times, but I have so much respect for her for yeah. just kind of powering through. And No, that's true. Yeah. It's very true. Mm-hmm. I saw the picture of your sister on Instagram with you. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. So she's younger? She's older. She's older. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's four years older than me. But she's always kind of been my my person to look up to you know uh she was amazing at basketball and soccer so I take my like aggressiveness from her because she was always insanely athletic and I was like I was okay at basketball and soccer but I never compared to her so my goal was just to take half of the aggression that she had playing sports and to use that into mine and you know it's funny she was always the athlete of the family and now she doesn't really do much but she's getting into running yeah. and I've made running my life and yeah. It's so ironic because if you asked me in high school if I would be doing anything running related, I would have said absolutely not. Right, because you were a dancer. Because I was a dancer. And, and dancers then I was, don't run. Yeah, exactly. I was field hockey. Like field hockey was my thing. 
and now I'm here and running is is my life. I coach it. I do it. I eat, breathe, sleep it, you know. And you're also an elite triathlete. I was um, very competitive in triathlon for a little while until I got injured. And that was a big hit on me because I was starting to really excel in the sport. And, you know, I wasn't professional, but I was racing in all the elite corrals. And I started really feeling like I was excelling. My workouts were insane. And I was going hard. And I finally did one marathon. I was like, I have to do New York City Marathon. And after that, I was so broken. I just I just stopped. I hit a point where I was like, there's no moving forward. You have to heal. Um, so you had just had like a series of injuries throughout your life, like running and, you know, doing triathlon. Mm-hmm. And you finally like hit your wall. Yeah. So actually, I never had any injuries before. I'll take it from college. Basically, I was never really injured. I never had any sustained injuries. Yeah, aches and pains here and there. Any athlete that's training will have them. But I never had any debilitating injury that took me out for longer than a week. And so in my mind, I was like, well, I never get injured. So I can run through this and I can push through this and I can, you know, it will go away. So at my peak, I was probably running 70 miles a week on top of biking 50 to 60 miles a week on top of swimming two to three hours a week. Right. Um, and I wasn't doing enough rehab and prehab. So basically 2015, I was doing pretty well. 2015 and 16, I competed at, you know, a few of the age group nationals and then the duathlon nationals, which I'm not, I don't have a running or a swimming background. So the duathlon, the run, bike, run was right. my thing. And I ended up placing fifth overall for the women in uh, duathlon nationals. I think that was 2015. Um, and, you know, my running was doing really well. Um, I just, I was injured and I didn't really know what it was. So when you don't know, you're just like, well, I'll just push through and hopefully it will go right. away. Yeah. So end of, end of 2016, I had my first marathon. It was New York. I qualified for the sub elite program. So, um, you know, I saw was, you running in that one. Yeah. I remember. It was really cool. I mean, I was... After the pros, I was first on the starting line. Uh, You know, we get shuttled to and from the start line. We have our own tent at the end. And I was like, you know, I don't know if I'll ever get this opportunity again. I have to run this race. And I had been training pretty well all of 2016. I I was very injured, but I was pushing through and I was managing it. What kind of injuries? The main injury I had was a tear in my iliopsoas. I tore my iliacus and then um, like a lot of tendonitis and tendinosis in my psoas. And I didn't know what it was. I thought it was digestive because it was my stomach. Right. And I was like, oh, well, I just started changing my diet. I went vegan. I did this. I did that. Um, And nothing was really helping. And that's when I realized maybe this is muscular or maybe this is tendon related. So I got a bunch of MRIs and CAT scans, and it turned out that I had torn my iliacus, tendinosis in my psoas. I tore my um, rectus abdominis, my ab muscle. I had bursitis in my glute. I had, um, you know, I strained my QL in my back. I almost tore my oblique. I just had a bunch of issues all on the same side. And on top of that, I had kidney stones. They run in my family, just like this freak thing that my everyone in my family has from my grandparents and my parents to me and my brothers and my brother and sister so you know I was 
the blood in my urine should have been a red flag. Hey, stop running. But right. I didn't, you know, I kept going. And then um, everyone listening that's an athlete feels you. Yeah, right now. Exactly. I've been there. And they're there. like, you could probably push through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yes. So I, um, I ended up doing the marathon in August. So the marathon is the first Sunday in November. Right. In October, I was so injured. That's when I found out I had all these things going on. So I only ran four times in October because I said, well, I'd rather be a little bit out of shape and somewhat on the healthy side than be really in shape, but maybe not be able to finish the marathon right. with like a full tear that happens in the race. So I wasn't, you know, I, you know, I wasn't really super satisfied with the race. I ran, ended up running 303 and, um, you know, relative to how I was training, that really wasn't satisfying for me because I, I think I was training more around, around 250 to 255 pace. Right. Um, but then October hit and I've just like, I, you know, I kind of gave up mentally and it's like, stop running, just swim a little bit. But everything I did from swimming to ellipticaling from, um, the anti-gravity running, it all hurt because anything twisting with my torso right. from my tear in my ab and my oblique and anything <clears throat> twisting was just painful. Yeah. So yeah. impact or not, it, it all hurt and I yeah. just couldn't get away from it. So I did the marathon and that's when I said, I'm not running anymore. Like I'm stopping and I'm not going to start until I'm healed. So it took about one full year. I took like six months of doing nothing, you know, gained a bunch of weight, did went through that whole emotional downward spiral where I was just unhappy because I couldn't run and running was my thing. It was me. And when right. I didn't have that, I was like, who am I? And I went through that whole identity crisis of what am I and who am I if I don't have running? I didn't even want to coach anymore because I didn't want to see people running. Right. And I felt That's pretty so crappy hard. about it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just... But you were uh, still coaching. Even though you coaching. didn't want to, you yeah. pushed through it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> and I, you know, I remember my boyfriend, Gene, was extremely supportive. And I put him through the ringer for a lot of that time because I was just not a happy person. So how did you mentally, like once you realized you were in that dark space, like how did you mentally get yourself out or keep going? Because I feel like that's so hard. I looked at my rehab and my prehab and well, mostly rehab. I looked at that as my workouts. So I really started to reframe my mindset. And that was, I mean, that's it's hard to do. Um, I come from a background where it's just you go out and you run as hard as you can and that's it. I didn't really know what slow running was. I didn't know what running without a purpose was. I went through a lot of life events. You know, um, I mentioned my dad had passed away and I just needed an outlet. I didn't have an outlet to let go of this frustration and the negative energy. And it was kind of this like learning experience. I've started to pick up other hobbies. I started to focus on friendships and building relationships with people because, you know, as a runner, we're kind of hermits. Yes. We were like, sorry, I can't do that. I have my long run or sorry, I have a race coming up. I can't go out. So I started to realize what it's like to be in New York and to be able to go out and have a drink. And, you know, I do admit there was like a three month period where I was drinking a lot. <laughs> I was partying way You're like, too much. I'm not running. Yeah. I don't know when I'm not training for a triathlon. I certainly, I can't drink anymore, but I definitely, um, I definitely like to drink. So, <laughs> you know, when I'm not, and I definitely know that when I'm training, like there's no drinking because I, I can't, but now I can't drink anyway. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. I like, I can't digest alcohol. I like oh, really? get drunk after one drink. I think oh, you wow. either have to drink a lot all the time or like just not drink at all. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's my philosophy. No, so. I feel you on that. It's nowadays, especially since I'm training more, it's one and done. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm very happy after one. I'll put it like that. Yeah. So. So what are you training for next? Well, I have Brooklyn coming up, which right. again, I don't really feel like I'm trained for it. I feel like I'm just starting to get my legs back with more mileage. So I'd like to do well. I mean, I think my goal would be, it's kind of maybe a reach goal, but I'd like to hit 120. Um, and from there... I'd like to find another half marathon, maybe the Hamptons half at the end of the summer. That's a great race. It's a great race. Yeah. It's also my birthday weekend. So I did it last year and it was great. So speaking of training and getting back to running and reaching certain paces. Yeah. My so, coach used to never give us an actual time. Be like, Joe, what was my time? And he'd either say fast <clears throat> or slow right. or right on. But you would never tell us the time. So like, how are you? So what's your strategy and approach to training now as you sort of because how what's the distance for steeplechase it's a 3k 3000 meters yeah okay so that's that's long for a sprinter it's short for an endurance athlete Mm -hmm. it's just a little under two miles it's definitely short if you're training for half marathons Mm -hmm. so how do you go from how do you take that speed that you have that you're doing your mileage and your paces in steeplechase and translate that to a pace that is going to be good for you in doing a half marathon and how do you build up your speed? Is it volume? Is it speed work? What mm-hmm. is it? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the balance would be, especially for, so if I was just doing steeple chase solely, I would focus on, you know, a lot of speed, shorter stuff, and then balance that with some longer, easier, slower runs. My philosophy kind of is, your easy runs should be easy. So I don't care the pace on them. I don't care if... Easy means running a 930 minute mile. Like that's what you do. You know, the, I feel like a lot of people have in their minds on my easy days, I still have to hit like sub eights. I still have to keep running fast. And don't worry about the paces on easy days. Like, when you're focusing on doing something fast, you really have to make every run or speed workout that you do quality. So the other runs, you're just shaking out your legs. Right. If you put all your energy into your easier runs, you're not going to have the energy that you need for the speed work. Um, So, you know, for me, translating from a steeplechase to a a half wasn't really that hard because I wasn't doing a lot of steeplechase-specific training. Right. I was doing hurdle drills, but other than that, I was still doing a lot of – I'm still doing a lot of distance. Right. I'm just trying to really build my base. I'm not doing a lot of fast stuff. I'm just – like really building up the mileage. I mean, luckily for me, uh, a lot of this has just started to click. And it's taken, again, almost two years. And the other day I had a comment on Facebook that, or on Instagram, I I posted something and some woman reached out and, you know, I I understand where she's coming from. She said, you know, this it's a little condescending because your easy runs or your, like, your light runs, they're really hard for me. And you make it seem like it's nothing. And I'm like, take a step back. I've been doing this for a very long time. I've put my heart, blood, sweat, and tears into this sport. This sport has taught me so much. It's helped me travel the world. It's taught me patience. It's taught me how to push my body and build mental strength and physical strength. Like I owe it to the sport to be positive about it. And I know there's not going to be good days. And I know you're not going to have a great run every single time. Right. But I think you owe it to yourself to actually put your best foot forward and to not be so freaking negative about yeah, it. Yeah, like when you do have a great run, you want to celebrate that. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to take take yourself down. I mean, that negative self-talk is horrible. Right. And, and everybody's think, different. Everybody's she- like, like you're 
your six minute mile is my eight minute mile. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, I don't, I don't know, do you six minute pace you were saying for your last race and you yeah. probably want to go even faster than that. So how did you respond? Yeah. So, you know, I just said, listen, I know that you're not going to have a great day every day, but I basically said what I just said. Like I, this sport has taught me so much and I want to owe it. I want to give it something back, give something back. So whether that means being positive about it, whether I don't want to trash the sport and just go on there and be like, yeah, screw running. What a terrible day. Like I never want to run again, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I have those days, but I don't air them out because for me, I think showing how positive running can be can be a really, really effective way for people to cope and use it as a coping mechanism and get through hard times. And, you know, I don't really approach the sport as the way I used to anymore. I used to go into it like I need to win every race. And if I don't, I'm going to die trying and I'm going to kill myself to the end. And nowadays I approach running in a different way. I approach my workouts differently differently. You know, John will sometimes give me some speeds to hit and sometimes I don't hit them. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with not winning a race. I'm okay with running a little bit slower. And the Broad Street, you know, I didn't run as fast as I could. I know I could have gone a little bit faster, but in my mind, I have Brooklyn coming up. That's the one I would like to really do well in. So this was like a tune-up. So I don't want to spend the next two weeks recovering from a 10-miler when I have another race coming up. Right. I mean, running is really a metaphor for life. And you have a great quote on your bio on the Mile High Run Club page that I love so much. When your legs get tired, run with your heart. And you can look at that, you know, two ways, right? I mean, you do run with your heart and then you run with your heart like your passion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I just always think there should be some goal. And whether it's a fitness goal, whether it's a race goal, or whether it's just, you know, to stay healthy and to use it as a stress release or a little meditation, whatever it is, you're going out for some type of purpose. And going out to blow off steam is a purpose. Yeah. You know, and it can take so many different shapes. It doesn't have to be the same for everyone. I enjoy the the competition because that's just me. I grew up with competition. I was always trying to compete with my older brother and sister. I never really stood a chance with them. So I was always just trying to prove myself. And that's that's my background, competing. And I, I love that. And I like not... I like having competition there. You know, I used to, in college, I was kind of the queen of the choke because I'd get to a big race and <laughs> yeah. I would just choke. I just, I put so much pressure on myself and I was really so disappointed in myself. And, you know, I was trying to impress my siblings and my family. And nowadays I take it with a very different approach and I just go into a race to have fun. And if you see race photos of me now, it's rare that you're going to catch a photo of me not smiling. I know. You're always smiling in your photos. I'm People always say that to me, too, because I'm always smiling. Like They're like, you don't look like you're working. I'm like, I'm working, but I'm happy. Yeah, exactly. You know, like people will, I'll be out on the course, and people will say to me after, like, oh, yeah, I saw you like at mile 10. That'll be like the triathlon. Mm-hmm. And like it would be my friend Earl. He would always yell at me on the course, like, you're not working hard enough if you're smiling. I'm like, I'm having the best time. This is my happy place. Yeah, and you know, why do you do it otherwise? You know, the There's no reason. The people that get so yeah. mad at themselves or, you know, I, in college it was a different vibe, right? I was, right. I needed to hit certain times to get a scholarship so that I could get put through college. Now it's not that, you know, I don't have the pressure and I can enjoy it. And, you know, for the people that are just getting into it, 
why are you so hard on yourself? Yeah. Because you're not going to break any world records here. So go out there and try to prove to yourself. Like this is a competition between you, yourself, and the clock. Right. And don't compare yourself to other people. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know the training they've done. You don't know the hours that they put into it. You know, I mean, my routine nowadays, I might run for 10 miles, but my rehab is going to be another hour. Like after this, what I'm going to do you do for rehab? A lot of band work, a lot of foam rolling, a lot of stretching. I do some yoga, you know, all of the hip strengthening stuff, physical therapy. I, there's a lot of other things that I do besides just run, you know, and, and most people don't see that because it's behind the scenes. Right. What kind of mileage are you doing now per week? Yeah, I'm, I think I'm, I got to start logging. I don't know. I'm doing a good job at this. Um, I think I'm somewhere between 50 and 60, I would say. So that's really the key in mm. training for these races and getting faster is doing the mileage and putting in the distance. I mean, there's two schools of thought. Okay. One school of thought is mileage. And that's kind of, my coach has that mindset where the more miles you do, the better you're going to be. You improve your aerobic capacity. You know, your At legs are going to turn over. Yeah, exactly. Your legs are going to turn over pretty fast. And when you get tired, you're just going to have that, that rhythm. You know, you've done your long runs. Actually, he likes when the long runs are a little bit faster. So he's not all about LSD, long, slow distance. Uh-huh. Um, but he likes a, a speedier long run. So you get in the rhythm of running a little bit faster for a longer period of time. So it's a little different. Um, but then there's also the school of thought where it's more quality over quantity. So if you're going to go out for a shitty run, it's going to, if your average long run pace is like 7.30 and you're only going to hit 9.30s, why go out? Right. Like don't waste the time on your legs. Heal, maybe elliptical or do something mm-hmm. that's non-impact and right. then go out there. A lot of people are shorter mileage that I know nowadays. Um, they're shorter mileage, you know, not as much pounding on the legs, but whatever they do, it's really quality. Less mileage, less time on your legs. That philosophy, like, would that also include maybe swimming or doing other kinds of workouts to keep your heart rate mm-hmm. up? Yeah, but so not I'm, waste your time on your legs. Yeah. is that so? That's like triathlon. Uh, and I've got a buddy of mine, uh, Matt Myers. He ran Boston and he had a ridiculous PR. I think he ran two thirty nine or somewhere in that zip code. And you know he's running 50 to 60 miles a week. I think his peak was 70, but that was, you know, one week. But what he doesn't tell most people is that he's swimming, you know, he's doing a lot of other stuff that you don't see. So yeah, the running might only be 50 or 60 miles. And for a 239 marathoner, that's not a lot. Right, because normally they would have to be doing at least 100 miles yeah, a lot, a lot of those guys are running like up in the 80s, 90s, and the elite guys, yeah, they're they're well into the hundreds. Yeah, but again, like you don't, he doesn't post all, all of his swimming workouts like he does his running workouts, you know, and he's just, I mean, he's an athletic guy. He's pretty yeah. impressive. But he's also another example of he does the strength diligent, diligently, and he's just really focused. And if you want to be good, you know, everything has to come together. It's not just one aspect. Right. But people only see one thing. Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. feel like that's the same thing for career. You know, like people only see one thing. Even doing marketing and PR, it's like they see the end results, but Mm -hmm. they don't know all the work that goes into the behind the scenes. And I feel like, you know, a lot of career mirrors sport or maybe sport mirrors career. 
I feel like they kind of play off each other in my world. I'm, I'm sure. I agree. 100%. In your world. Yeah. I mean, but I'm sure there are some lessons that you've gotten from your sports and training that have helped you succeed. Yeah. Can you think of any? Yeah, no, definitely. You know, I was the captain of my cross country and track and field team uh, in high school and college and learning how to kind of manage people and inspire and uh, motivate it's a challenge and especially in the fitness world I mean you know fitness instructors they are very strong personalities and everybody's got an idea of what you know what they want to be doing what they should be doing how to ban that as a team to really do well and you know the fitness industry it's changed in New York and it's continuing to change and I hope in a good way but you know it's very very saturated so you know I think Mile High sets themselves apart by having elite runners and people who were competitive and like I said John Henwood ran in the friggin Olympics Uh, we're bringing Mary Kane on board who is a professional runner and I think the idea of training and being focused and getting up and doing something when you don't want to and pushing yourself it absolutely translates to career and nowadays you know I'm not sleeping as much as I used to and right which is so important it's so important I just took a two-hour nap the other day or yesterday actually and it was amazing I I used to nap a lot because when training you know when I was doing all that training yeah back in 2015 I would nap all the time and nowadays I I don't get enough sleep that's for sure and you know I took that two-hour nap and I was just like I feel amazing but you come out of a run and you come back to work with a different perspective right so that's, you know, running can be beneficial, not just for just physical aspects. You know, you go out on a run from a hard day of work and then you come back to your work and you're like, okay, let's attack this in a different way. So where are some of your favorite places in the world that you've run? I've got a few cool ones. You know, I've loved running in Yosemite. I went there with my college team back in the day. Um, that's just gorgeous. Like being in nature where you feel so small it's just amazing and the the same kind of goes for Hawaii so my brother lives on Oahu in Hawaii I've done some runs there just climbing up volcanoes and climbing and doing some hikes where it just I like being able to take a step back and just really be one in nature Mm -hmm. and to realize that even though you have a lot of shit going on in the day when you're out there all of that doesn't matter you realize how small you are in the grand scheme of things. And, yeah. you know, as much as I love being competitive, I think that feeling of being in nature trumps the competition every day. And yeah. when I'm out, like I went up to near Tarrytown area to Rockefeller State Park, kind of like know. Hudson Valley. Okay. And I was running in Rockefeller State Park and the spring was just starting to come out. And so just starting to see the green and I had music on because I was doing a long run and I just had to shut my music off because the music was distracting to me. And all I wanted to hear was my feet on the gravel going, you know, you know, and I I love hearing that. So I had my headphones and I was like, I got to take these out. And I just ran. And I love that feeling where nature is your music. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's really nice. And what about New York City? Where are your favorite places to run in the city? I love getting on the bridal path. I think at the times where there's not a lot of people there, since I live in Columbus Circle, you know, it's the easiest place for me to just get to. I'm so, so jealous right now. That's so amazing. Nice. Yeah. It's, if I lived near the park, I'd run there every day. I know. Well, it does get a little boring. I'm not going to lie. I know, but that's because I run up and down the West Side Highway every day. So yeah, well, not every day, but that's I should actually be. my second favorite up kind of like uh, Riverside Park, mm-hmm. a little bit up further in like the yes. hundreds. I like going up there too. And then when you go all the way up and then you 
kind of like if you're uh, riding a bike. So I've done my long runs and I've gone all the way up to uh, the George Washington Bridge. So that's a nice run too. Yeah. But it's just, it's hard because it's not that wide. So I like to zone out, throw my music on and like, I'll really blast it sometimes because all yes. I want to just let loose. And there's always people and cyclists and you just really have to have your wits about you. Right. So you can't do that that much. But the bridal path going around, one of my favorite parts is actually on the west side when you're coming, say you're coming south on the west side on the bridal path, there's a few little bridges that you go under. Um, and I'm not sure if you've been I've under this I've never been one. there. Oh my I've, gosh. Okay, no, we I've have to only, go. Yeah, I've only run in Central Park. I've lived here my whole life. And I like it's so pathetic that I started running in Central Park like a couple years ago. Oh my God. I don't even know if I want to hear what you're about to say. No, I just, I really just like <laughs> didn't know how to get, like I only know the concrete. Yeah. I don't run or venture off into right, any of the trails. We'll do the whole bridal yeah. loop. Yeah. It's uh, okay. So anyways, you go under a few bridges and there's one bridge that the lighter it is outside, the contrast makes you completely blind when you go under it. Like you can't <laughs> see a thing. So it's, you know, if it's darker out, it doesn't contrast with your eyes so much. So it's not as bad, but you're running in it and all of a sudden you go underneath and it's pitch black. You can't see a thing. And it's, it's really cool. It's flat, so you don't really have to worry about, like, holes. You do have to worry about some horse poop because yeah. the horses go through there. But it's really cool. I remember the first time I went through it, I was scared. So I was like, oh, my God, I can't see a thing. No, we'll have to go. Though. All right, we're, I'm, yeah. I'm in. I yeah. mean, if you have, like, a charity run you're doing where you want to, like, run with someone because you feel <laughs> bad for them because they're so – Oh, my gosh. You'll be, like, walking. No, um, it's all good. We should get a group. Yeah, that That's would be fun. That would be awesome. How do you think I'm going to get my speed back? Do you have any tips for getting your speed back? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's marrying the long stuff and the short stuff. You know, it's in its consistency. There's no one workout. There's not a magic formula. People aren't fast because they do the magic workouts and they have the magic coach and they have the magic diet. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not why people get good. <sighs> Damn it. Unfortunately, <laughs> people get good because they're consistent. And even on bad days, they go out. I, barring you have an injury... Even when you're not feeling good, you're still going out there. You're still following the program. Um, you know, I've worked with a lot of people, and they're just like, oh, I'm sore, My, I can't do this today, or I'm not going to do this, or I skipped this, or I did that. And um, I really work well with the people that I have to slow down, that I have right. to say, listen, I want you to take today off and I want you to because my mindset is all about going, going, going. So I work well with the type A people that are just very like, I have to do everything. Yeah. Um, but in order to get your speed back, you know, you have to do quality speed work. Yeah. So, you know, it doesn't take a lot once or twice a week. I just PR I had an all time PR and steeplechase doing speed once a week. So it's not that you have to hammer your legs with speed all the time, but, but you have to do it. But you have to do it. You have to do it at least once because long, slow distance is you're just going to get good at running long and slow. You know, right. you're not going to get where faster. I'm at right now. But, you know, like marrying the two where you're doing the speed and you're doing the longer stuff. So you build that aerobic base. Mm -hmm. It's just going to really set you up for success when you start doing the faster stuff. Um, and I, I wouldn't even say I'm in the heart of my speed training yet. Like I you just started. I just started, you yeah. know, and I'm already feeling it because I've been consistent and I haven't skipped a workout. And even when I've been feeling bad, I've still gone out there. And even when I knew I wasn't going to hit the times I wanted to, I powered through. Well, that's that's a really hard thing to do, the mental, physical struggle, because even, and for me too, like when I go out there and I know I'm not going to be doing the speed that I used to do or that I want to do, I still have to do the workout. Mm -hmm. And that's hard. 
that it's, in and it of itself part. is like yeah and it's just defeating and you feel inadequate and you're just yeah. like well why why am i doing this anymore i can't hit my speeds and you know everybody goes through a time maybe it might be a week or it might be a month or it might be a year you know right. whatever it is where uh, you know running might not be treating you in the best way and I look at my running partner now uh, from college I still call him my partner because we always trade our you know what did you do for a workout what did you do for a workout and we support each other that way now remotely via text but you know she's not having the, I know she's capable of so much more she's still running fast I mean right you know relatively speaking perspective is all yeah. perspective she's yeah. still running really fast I mean she ran like a 101 for the 10 miler like ran 10 miles an hour in one That's minute great. you know That's like so great. but she's capable of so much more I know that and she knows that and I know it it's defeating for her. Um, and I know that, you know, she hasn't been feeling strong in her workouts and she's been feeling a little burnt out. And I think that it makes you stronger when you get through these hard parts. Like yeah. if you have a great workout, great. And you're hitting great speeds, amazing. But it's how you react to the bad days and the struggles. That's what defines you as a runner. Not the good days, not the good races. It's like, how do you react when you feel like crap? And that's kind of what it is for me you know it's not going to feel amazing all the time but if you can get through the hard days it's going to make you so much stronger mentally as a runner and as a person in general that's awesome that's true where can listeners find you yeah so uh, my instagram is at coach.fitz f-i-t-z and then I'm at Mile High Run Club uh, now since the small little promotion I, I only coach uh, 10 classes a week helping inspire and motivate our coaches and that kind of stuff. So still have 10 classes throughout the week. I just picked up weekends again. So I'll be coaching on Sundays, which I'm super excited about because, you know, the vibe of a weekday class and everyone's like, I got to run and then I got to go to work is way different than people that come in. They're like, hey, let's have fun today in our run and let's enjoy it. And then let's go to brunch. So Sundays in Nomad. Yeah. And so. then you have your own private clients that you see mm -hmm. and coach in the city. Yeah. Do you also coach virtually? I do a little bit virtually. I try not to do too much. And most of my clients that I see on a regular basis, it's like I'm, I'm giving them their monthly plans mm -hmm. or weekly plans and we chat about it and then we make changes. I've kind of shortened my list of clients just because I want to make sure I'm giving them yes. really good quality um, stuff and the time. There's just not enough time in the day for everything. So, you know, I've got a select few little bunch of clients, I think six now, that I work with. And um, that basically consists of just like their weekly plans or monthly plans and then seeing them once or twice a month, focusing on, okay, well, show me how you're doing your strength. Or, right, you know, I was going to say you injured? work with them on strength training and yeah. running mm -hmm. and overall nutrition and coaching all the way through. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, well, This has been great. Thank you so yes, much. This is so much fun. Me. <laughs> really, I appreciate Seriously. it. This was a lot of fun. Awesome. Thanks, Corinne. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, marnieonthemove1 at gmail.com. And let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of, 
If you have questions for our guests, just reach out. 